Hey, it's me. Hello and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Honored that you're here. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm in the middle of nowhere. This is being recorded remotely, I guess you could say. And I know that nowhere is somewhere to somebody else, and somewhere is nowhere to somebody else. So I'm right here. Wherever you are, there you are. And here you are. This is an interview with Anna Wilson. It's a very interesting interview that was broadcast on FM radio in Charleston, South Carolina a few years back. It was a great interview, I think. Anna Wilson exists at the intersections of country, jazz, and the late 70s California rock scene. She's a singer, songwriter, and artist through and through. She's written some great songs, and I have to say she has done some phenomenal interpretations of classics from the Great American Songbook. A lot of people might think of country music as being miles away from American pop standards. I don't necessarily see it that way, and I think Anna Wilson is kind of in agreement with me. If you want to support the mission of the Paul Leslie Hour, you can do so. Just go to thepaulleslie.com. You're going to find a little button that says support the show. Believe me when I tell you any amount is most appreciated by yours truly, and that will be your good deed for the day. As always, let me know what you think, and check out Anna Wilson. You're really going to enjoy what you hear. She's made some great recordings of music, and I hope to meet her in person someday. The woman we're joined by, Anna Wilson, is a singer, songwriter, recording artist. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be here and talking. It's wonderful to have you. Would you say that when you started in music, you adhered to a certain genre? Well, yes, yes, I did at first. When I when I first began, it was in the you know for a professional attempt at music. You know, of course, I did things in school and and different things in college and high school. But once I kind of really got out of college and decided I wanted to pursue music, I was definitely at the time in the early '90s chasing country music, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and I went to college in Baltimore. And as soon as I graduated college, I got in my car and hopped in, hopped in it and drove to Nashville to pursue my country music dreams. (laughs) But my road was very, very uh, clearly has taken me uh, in a very different direction, but that's where I started, which is kind of interesting. What was it about country music? What made you decide that that was what you wanted to pursue? I think it was the nature of the storytelling in the songs, that country songs and that type of music was putting out at the time. It's not so much the case anymore. There's a few story songs out there that that do well in in the format. But back then, it was very much about storytelling. And I was very interested in writing songs. And so I knew that Nashville was a place where the songwriter and the song itself was king. And so that's what drew me to country music. So the story, it begins outside of Philadelphia? Yeah, yeah. 
Tell I us am. a little bit about that. Up. Well, you know, uh, I grew up in the Philadelphia area, about an hour outside the city. Um, had a pretty normal life. Very blessed. You know, my dad was a school teacher and my mom was a homemaker and I played sports and did musicals and did all the things that, you know, normal kids do in school. When I was five years old, I knew that I wanted to be a singer. Um, I didn't necessarily know about songwriting as much at that point, but I was very, very enamored with singing. Of course, like every little girl, you know, sang into my hairbrush in my room <laughs> in front of the mirror, the Linda Ronstadt and, and all the things that were happening back in the mid seventies, mid to late seventies when I was a kid, that was, that was pretty much my world, you know, until I kind of grew up and, and got old enough and said, I'm, I'm really old enough now. And I'm going to go chase this dream and, and see what happens. And so that's sort of how it went. <laughs> who were the singers and who were the songwriters that you would say were the biggest influence on you? Well, I was very influenced by a wide range of people. My mom played piano around the house just for her own, you know, as a hobby. And she played all the great American songbook standards. So I grew up with that type of music more than anything. So I was very influenced by like Barbara Streisand, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., folks like that, that vocal, pop vocal jazz artists of the time, I guess you could say, back in the, you know, the 50s and 60s was what influenced her. So that's what she played. And of course, that's what I grew up at, grew up with. But then as I started getting older, my older sister was into country music and pop music and stuff. And I started listening to what she was listening to. And, and that's when I discovered all the things that, you know, were out there at the time. I really would say that as a songwriter, I was very heavily influenced by Jackson Brown, um, Carol King, Laura Nero, songwriters of, of that, of that type, Joni Mitchell. So um, it's kind of a, a diverse palette because those those artists are very song and song driven and storytelling. And then, of course, the guys that, you know, really do the American songbook like Sinatra and and, and Barbara and all that, they, they really swung. So I had a really interesting, you know, songwriting slash singing diverse influence growing up because of that. And when did you realize I can write songs? I was a senior in high school, and I was a, I was a, a big athlete. I played a lot of sports. I really didn't do music a whole lot. I did the typical you know choir, school play here and there, but I was mostly an athlete, and so there was wasn't a whole lot of time for music. Right before my senior year, uh, I was trying out for the Olympic trials for field hockey of all sports, and I I blew my knee away in the competition. I tore my ACL. And it really, really kind of sent, you know, it was a turning point for me, fork in the road for sure, decide if I'm going to, you know, get my knee all fixed up and, 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 you know, take the next five years and do all the things I'm going to have to do to get that to be right, to try again for the Olympics, play college ball, or am I going to go pursue this musical passion that I sort of always secretly have, but really haven't had a whole lot of time to pursue. When I was in rehab for my knee, I, I picked up the guitar and I started, you know, taking a little lesson here and there and uh, reading books about, you know, that and all. 
And I, I got very, very enamored with it. And that's when I started writing songs because I think I was in a very, very contemplative place because of what had happened to me, feeling a little bit like an island, a little isolated. And a lot of those sort of emotions and feelings and things came out in the in form of my sort of first song that I'd ever written. And that's when I really decided, hey, I think there's something interesting here. I actually ended up taking the road less traveled, I guess you could say, because I ended up pursuing music and choosing that over sort of the athletics. And that was a big, big turning point for me. But I would say that that's when it really all began. We're talking with singer, songwriter, and recording artist Anna Wilson. Tell us about the experience of moving to Nashville. Was that a frightening experience? Did you go with confidence? What was that like? Yeah, it was It was exciting. You know, I was 21 years old, and I was just graduated college two weeks earlier, and I was fired up. You know, I was so excited that I was moving to this town where I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to go find my life and what it is I'm supposed to do and make it big and, and all these things, you know, that you young people have <laughs> in their dreams with their dreaming. And um, so I was, I was fired up. I was, I was excited. I was scared, of course, you know, it was a, it was a big move and I never lived that far away from home, but I had gone the summer before and done like a little internship and kind of had made some initial friends and acquaintances down there. So I did feel like I wasn't completely moving into the vast unknown, so to speak, but it was, it was scary and exciting and full of promise. And that was a really, really interesting time for me. You say it was an interesting time. Was the transition, was it hard? Yeah, very hard. It was uh, lonely a lot of times. And even just the sort of I call it, you know, culture shock, so to speak, from being a kid from the Northeast and then moving to the South and everything, you know, I mean, it's stereotypical and, and whatnot, but everything just does move slower. You know, I mean, I was very much into like, okay, let's go to the next thing. Like, why is this taking so long? You know, and, you know, it was a, it was a definite lesson in the music business and in life of what we coined the phrase, hurry up and wait. It's like, hurry up and get there. And then you just wait more because it's not an overnight process. It's a long journey. I usually tell most people, you know, if you want to come to Nashville or or any town that sort of pursues, you know, the arts, whether it's Los Angeles or New York, and you want to pursue anything like acting or music or it's a five year commitment minimum to really, really see not only if you have the the talent and you're able to network your way through, but to make sure that you're hungry enough and you really want it, that you have the perseverance enough to really hang hang in there. If if you can put that kind of time in, usually by the five year mark, something significant would happen by then. Even if it's just one thing that would be enough to kind of keep you either going and moving forward with it or say, you know what? I got, I'm going to throw in the towel. This is, I gave it a good go and just nothing is breaking for me. Every time I got to that point, you know, there were a few places along the way, something would always happen that would give me the hope or the encouragement to say, you can't, you can't quit. You can't turn back now. Did you find anybody was distrustful of you being from the North? 
Oh gosh, yes, totally. I think there was a little bit of, you know, what what are you doing here? You know, you, you we're from the south. We're, we do country music, and you know, you don't have an accent, and you know, you know, just all these silly things. You know, a lot of people would say I was too young, and you got plenty of time. You're only twenty one, twenty two at the time. Of course, now. You know, if you're 21, 22, you're almost you're almost too old. Yeah. You don't make it by the time you're what 13 or 14. They're like, oh, you know. But back then, it was a really different mindset. I would say things aren't like that anymore. It's it's completely a non-issue where you're from, how old you are, all these things. But back then, it it was it was an issue. 25 years ago, people people didn't take you seriously if you didn't put in a certain amount of time or, or whatnot. So um, it was, it was very rare for someone even in their young twenties to sort of already have success. That was considered too early and you sort of had to come in and pay your dues and, you know, put your time in and all that stuff. So yeah, it was, it was a long road. <laughs> Do you think that the direction that the music business is going in Nashville is a good direction? No, not really. And what I mean by that is I think that the music has been tainted a little bit by the the times. And of course, and what I mean by that, of course, music always needs to reflect the times. That's That's not what I mean. But I think that it's not as organic it's not as honest, it's not as pure as it used to be, which were the things that attracted me to it and a lot of other people. And I don't believe that that is a product of getting older. You know, a lot of times people are like, oh, the older people just always, you know, say bad things about the music of today because they don't understand it. I, I don't think it is that. I think that there has been a real moving away to just a lot of noise. And by noise, I mean, it's got to be fast, up-temper, energetic. It talks about one sort of theme a lot of the time, not a hundred percent of the time, but it's always about the party and, you know, you know, the hanging out on the, the back of your, the back of the truck on the farm and drinking beer. And like, it's just, it's just always about a very sort of first level experience. And the songs of of years ago, you had so much more depth. And I'm not saying that there isn't a song every now and then that comes along that has depth in country music. It, there are, but they're fewer and far between. And it, it's much more influenced. I think country music was the last genre that was influenced by beats and rap and rhythmic music. And they've really brought that into the equation, which has been a good thing, I I believe, but at the same time, I think it's lost a lot of its organic qualities. And proof of that, you know, is a guy like Chris Stapleton. He's very organic. You know, he's sort of labeled a, a country act and a, an Americana act. Right now, everyone's saying that Americana music is the savior of country music because at least, you know, Americana music is roots oriented. It's organic. It, it's very, you know, real in its experience. So that's been an interesting interesting thing to watch over the past 20 years of the industry. And I, I would think that if country music could uh, re-embrace some of the 
the things that Americana is holding true, I think it would probably have more appeal to a wider audience. We're talking with performing and recording artist Anna Wilson. I want you to tell us about the first time you went into the studio to make an album. What was that experience like for you? Well, it was it was exciting. It was new. Obviously, you know, the first time you do anything like that, you're you're very green. My process was very uh unique in the way that it took me 6 years to make my first album. And so I I actually ended up calling the record The Long Way. <laughs> I got in and out of several record deals to make it. I was signed to Capitol Records, Island Def Jam Records, and ultimately I was signed to Curb Records and the record came out on Curb. But it took six years to get in and out of all those record deals. And the reason that that kept happening was every time someone would sign me, about six to eight months later, they would get they would get fired and or the label would undergo a change and then they would drop all of you know the artists that that prior, you know, record company president signed or, or whatnot. So it's almost like the baby went out with the bathwater. So I kept sort of having to keep restarting. But it was, you know, a wonderful experience musically, probably one of the most creative times of my life. Even though it took a very long time to birth that record, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it. There's an album of yours very interesting, the Country Politan Duets album. Tell us how that yes. idea started. Well, so by that point, you know, I had been in Nashville for about 12 years and had really gotten established, had met a lot of people, had written songs for a lot of the country artists and had cuts on their records and had great relationships with a lot of wonderful artists in the town. And the odd thing was, is that even though I wrote songs with them and, you know, were, were friends with them, I sort of my road didn't actually wind up going into country music for me as an artist. And so I always found myself in Nashville with, with all these friends, you know, these wonderful artists who are friends of mine who are country artists. And I, and I was making different kinds of records. I was making singer songwriter records. I was making pop rock records when I went, you know, was out in Capitol on that first record. And then of course I had started to move into jazz I said, you know, we've always done things together through the the song, you know, by songwriting, but we've never actually sang together. It would be really fun to, to maybe try to find a project to do that on. And so I came up with this idea that, you know, to do a duets record. And back in the day, uh, in the 50s and 60s, country music um, had a style of country music, which they called metropolitan country, which was people like Patsy Cline and Jim Reeves and Ray Price and, you know, even Willie Nelson at the time, very, very sort of sophisticated sounding songs that were country music because they were trying to compete with the guy. They were trying to compete on the radio with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. Cause those guys were getting all the airplay. And so the way they did it is they started putting these lush string arrangements behind these country songs and they made those old time things like walking after midnight and crazy and all those great standards that we have now. And I thought, I wonder what would happen if we did jazzy treatments to these songs, full swing jazz treatments that Frank Sinatra might have, you know, sung over and, and 
duetted with country with the country artists who either made them famous or if those artists were no longer around, asked modern day country artists to croon and pay tribute. And that's how the notion of um, this country jazz record called Country Politan Duets came to be. It was a, really a way for me to sort of be able to do something creative and fun as as singers and artists with some of my friends and that I was hanging out with in Nashville. It's a very clever idea. I'm sure with all the iconic people and there are people from all kinds of genres, Kenny Rogers, and then in the more jazz crooning world, Matt Dusk, sure. Connie Smith, the great Larry Carlton. Was there any moment, I'm sure there were a couple, but where you really thought, wow, this is something. Yeah. I would say it probably happened with Connie Smith. There were there were several, as you said, but the one that stands out the most was, you know, I asked her if she would duet on, on a song that, you know, she made famous back in the day, and she was just lovely. And she came in the studio, and she says, this is going to be really fun. She says, I don't ever get to do this kind of music, you know. This is going to be a good time. So she came in, we sang the duet together at the same time, you know, on the same mic, we were in the vocal booth together. That process went really great. That day was over and we said, okay, tomorrow we're going to put on the strings and the orchestra is going to come in and and we're going to put the strings on. And she goes, I want to be there for that. And I'm like, really? You, you, you would come back, you know, because it's just so hard corralling artists and their schedules, you know, trying to get everybody in the same place at the same time, we were just thrilled to have, have her be there for the the day that we were actually doing the vocals. She says, no, she says, in fact, she says, tomorrow is my 68th birthday. And she says, this would be a great way to celebrate my birthday. I go, Oh my goodness. So she came in on her 68th birthday (laughs) and sat there with the biggest grin on her face. And it was just, it was it was really, really special that she just wanted to be that involved and engaged in the process. And then about, I would say, six months later, after we finished the whole record and stuff, we debuted it on the Grand Old Opry. And I asked her if she would come sing it with me for the debut, and she did. And so she was just really a special, special duet partner. I have the utmost respect for her. She's a great lady. Oh, she's great. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Grand Old Opry, Tell us about the first time that you performed. Well, it, it was that performance that I just referenced. The Grand Old Opry uh, heard about Country Politan Duets. They knew it was going to be released. And we had agreed that debuting the record, or at least you know a few tracks from the record, that the best place to do that and, and pay homage to that would be at the Grand Old Opry. So they gave me a four-song slot, which is pretty you know, significant for the opera. Usually everybody does two songs and, and they gave me four songs that night and it was Connie Smith. We did her, the duet with her. And then we did uh, the one with Larry Carlton and another one with Billy Dean, a country artist out of Nashville. And then the, uh, the single, which was uh, a song called You Don't Know Me. I duetted that with a guy named Matt Gerard, who was an artist that, did very, very well in the eighth season of American Idol. And the guy from Michigan, just super, super great guy, uber talented. That song ended up going number one on the iTunes jazz chart after we did that. So it was a really special night on the Opry. One really interesting story, if you'll allow me, 
we were we were doing a little you know rehearsal sound check, and little Jimmy Dickens was there that night at the Opry, and I just love little Jimmy Dickens. He's just awesome. <laughs> He's so adorable. He saw that I had a full horn section with me because we really did it up. You know, we had we had our band and everything. You know, it was, it was a real good. We needed to swing, so we had the horns right. And we're sound checking and everything's good. And I walk off stage and I'm getting ready for the evening. And Jimmy, little Jimmy Jenkins meets me backstage and he goes, I don't know how I feel about a bugle on the Opry stage. (laughs) (laughs) And I go, oh gosh, great. My first time at the Grand Ole Opry and I'm already in trouble, right? And I said, I I swear it's going to be great. You know, we're paying tribute to country music and, you know, all this stuff and well, anyway, the night goes on, I do my performance and I walk off and he was standing side stage and he was, I was walking off and he was ready to come on. And he said to me, well, Missy, I think you have a bright future. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I, I think I like those. Bugles. He goes, I think I like those bugles. I was like, okay. <laughs> and it was just really sweet. I'll never forget that. <laughs> So I think I got I think I got the uh, seal of approval from Little Jimmy Jack and the Opry, which is really cool. <laughs> Wonderful. On the other side, I wanted to ask you about the work that you do writing songs. That some of the songs that are penned for other artists that other artists record. Who has done the best job of recording a song that you wrote or co-wrote? I would say the song that I co-wrote with Charles Kelly and Monty Powell on the Lady Annabellum record. They had a really big hit a few years ago called Need You Now, and it was on that record, and it sold over 5 million records. It was, it was a great thing to be a part of. And the song that I wrote was uh, track number nine, and it was called If I Knew Then. And I think they just did a really wonderful job on that. And of course, it was great to be a part of that entire record collection because it was such a big record because of all their success with Need You Now. It got it won the Grammy Award and that was just a really special thing to be a part of. So I'll always be grateful for that. How competitive is the songwriting realm in Nashville? It's very competitive. Nearly impossible sometimes it feels People writing songs every day, nine to five, and uh, demoing them. And, you know, just, and it's changed a lot too. It used to be you could just go write your songs and someone would pitch them to the artists or the managers, the producers of them, and, and they would find their way. You know, now it's very different. You know, you there's definitely like camps, <laughs> you know, that artists get in. Like, you know, are, are you in the Keith Urban camp? Are you writing songs for him? Are you writing songs for whatever, Lady Annabellum or Tim McGraw or whatever, they tend to be a little bit more clustered and targeted. I'm not saying that it still doesn't happen the the way it used to. Um, sure, every now and then a song does just find its way to the right artist and, and the stars align, and that's awesome. But it, it's very competitive. There's Everyone is good, and there are so many songs written in Nashville and and everywhere, Los Angeles, New York, I'm sure, Atlanta, you know, every day that are just amazing that no one will ever hear, you know, because there's just, it's just 
random at some level, <laughs> you know, how some of the math aligns and the right song hits the right artist at the right time. But there's a great community there and a lot of the songwriters support each other. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, nurturing place to be if you're a creative person. The list of artists that have recorded songs that you've written or co-written, Reba McIntyre, Brooks and Dunn, Leanne Womack, Chris Cagle, and others. Is there anyone that you've had in mind that you thought, gosh, if this person could get a hold of this song that I wrote, they would be perfect for it? Yes, yes. And are, are you asking me out of that list of what they actually recorded or just any song? Just any song that you wrote or co-wrote. Right. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll talk to songwriters and they'll say, gosh, if I could have just gotten this in the hands of fill in the blank. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I think that person for me, honestly, is not a country artist. <laughs> but I think that person is Michael Bublé. I think I've penned some songs that are even on my, my own artist records. There's one or two special ones. There's one on the uh, Time Changes Everything record, which is the title track. It's called Time Changes Everything. If, if Michael Bublé could ever, you know, get his hands on that song and record it, I just think he would kill it. And I think it would sound like a standard that was recorded back in the day and would, would have sort of the timeless appeal that could endure over the years and, and have staying power. Someone with his voice matching a song of that quality and style. So that would probably be my one, <laughs> my one Christmas wish come true. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you just never know in this world, Mr. Buble, if you're out there. You never know, right? <laughs> It'd be awesome. It'd be awesome if that happened. <laughs> I wanted to ask about the album Jazzbird Songbird. Tell the listeners out there, what's the significance of that title? Well, that was a pretty significant record for me, honestly. So thank you for asking that question. After I made the Countrypolitan Duets record, I was like, gosh, how am I going to follow this up? You know, I got, I got, I'm singing with Kenny Rogers and Ray Price and Connie Smith and Keith Urban and all these great people. And so it took me a few years to kind of come up with that. But Jasper's Songbird was a perfect snapshot of where I was at the time because I've always been a songwriter. And one of the things with my jazz records that I've always wanted to do is, and I feel like I have done it, you know, I wanted to write new jazz songs that sounded like they belonged back in the day and could live alongside, you know, the songs that we all know and love, right? The Great American Songbook. In jazz, most people these days, they're, they're not interested in that. They just really want Climbing to the Moon and and, you know, my funny Valentine and just all the standards that we love. And, and those songs are amazing. I mean, I love them. That's one of the reasons I got into jazz, but the songwriting piece of it was very important to me. You know, I was just as inspired by Irving Berlin and Cole Porter <laughs> and Mel Torme, you know, who wrote these great songs. And so there was a place in, in that record of an old school record making process where they used to have the A side and the B side. And so the A side of that record is sort of my inner jazz bird. 
and the one who likes to croon and sing and, you know, emote the voice of my artistry. And then there's the songbird side of me that wants to emote my artistry through storytelling and through songs. And I think that that is a culmination of, you know, I, I am a natural songwriter. It's, it's what I've been called to do. And, you know, of course, growing up in the music business in Nashville, where I really learned the craft of songwriting. So that record was a real chance for me to sort of show both sides of my artist personality. It was really important because it transitioned me much deeper back into the songwriter that I always, you know, really wanted to be. And it was a very, very important transitional piece for me. So I'm really, I'm really glad we made that record. (laughs) I want to kind of enter the, the present a little bit. The project you're involved with Troubadour 77. What does that mean? Troubadour 77. Well, interesting. So the Jasper songbird, when I was talking about the, how it was really leading me back into, you know, sort of my inner songbird kind of took me back to the influences of those great artists and writers of the seventies that I mentioned earlier that really influenced me. Jackson Brown, Carol King, Laura Nero, Joni Mitchell, the Eagles, folks like that. Very, very influenced by the California country sound. In fact, I think that was one of the reasons I chose Nashville in the very beginning of, of my pursuit of the music industry. Um, I felt like maybe we could make records like that again that were organic and had great songs and parts, you know, specific guitar parts and, you know, hooks. And when I got to Nashville, it really wasn't the case. <laughs> but, you know, you got to kind of go and do it and find out what works and what doesn't. And so when I started writing those sort of more intimate, personal songs on the Jazzbird Songbird record, there's a couple songs, like there's one called Polaroid on that record. That really brought me back to the, the songwriting headspace. And it didn't stop there. It kind of kept going. And the muse found me after that record. And I started writing these songs and they weren't jazz songs. And I'm like, what's going on? These, these are great songs, but they're not really jazzy. These sound more kind of like the, the reason, you know, when I first got into the business, you know, what I kind of wanted to do. And, and I just said, you know, I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to follow it and see what happens. And to make a very long story short, I ended up writing all these great songs that, that weren't jazz songs. And I said, I've got to do something with this. These are some of the best songs I've written in my life. And I was really proud of them. And back in the 70s, there was a club in Los Angeles called The Troubadour. And that's where all those artists got their start. Um, Linda Ronstadt, Don Henley, you know, Jackson, Elton John, all those guys played The Troubadour. And a lot of them got discovered there. And so being a songwriter, Troubadour, that word really resonated. And so, and then the other part of the, the band name is 77. 1977 was a watershed year in music. If you look at the billboard charts, you'll just see some of the most iconic songs from Hotel California to Dreams to How Deep Is Your Love to all, just all these amazing songs that are part of the American you know, soundtrack of life. And I also 
when I was in 1977, I was five years old and I knew I wanted to be a singer. So that, that, that number and that, you know, year just was very, very a part of my story. So I put them together and we called it Troubadour 77. And at first I thought it was just going to be like a side project for me, but it, it morphed into a band and we're having the time of our lives playing this music. It's been really, really fun. You have really, really just gone all over the place with genres. <laughs> I have. I know. It's kind of an interesting thing. But, you know, I think that that just speaks to the power of a song because, and songwriting. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, if anybody asks me, what is it that you do? I tell them I'm a songwriter. And I write country songs and I write pop songs and I've written rock songs and I write jazz songs. And the great thing about that is that songwriting has always led me, you know, to the right next season, musical season of my life. I think it's, it's, it's been a very diverse journey. <laughs> Clearly it has been. And I feel really fortunate because I feel like I've been able to, in all of the projects, serve the song and what it called for rather than sort of chasing a specific genre or, or path and, you know, feeling like you have to compromise and leave certain things by the wayside because they don't necessarily fit or, or whatnot. So it's been a, it's been a wonderful way um, to really, you know, experience so many different palettes of, of music and, I feel like I'm constantly learning and, and that's been really a great part of everything and a great part of the journey. When somebody goes and and they are at one of your concerts in whatever version that might be, whether you're doing jazz, mm -hmm. country, any of these genres we're talking about, is there a goal that you have in mind? Yes. My number one goal is I want to be able to affect people with the power of a song. I want to make them feel. I want to make them reflect. I want to, you know, if, if a song is if a, of a certain type, I, I hope that maybe it can heal them in some way and let them know they're not alone. And so I want to have a human connection with the audience. And if I can do that through a song, no matter what genre it is or, or how it's presented with a big rock band or, or jazz band or a piano vocal, if I can affect that sort of change in someone, then I feel like I've been successful. The wonderful thing about technology today, anything that you want to broadcast, you can. You can reach people from all corners of the world. So for anyone who's listening in, wherever they might be. Very open-ended question, but what would you say to them? Well, I would say the most important thing that anyone can do is follow their heart and follow their bliss. If you, if you do that, no matter what it, you're called to do, whether it's music, acting, building bridges, <laughs> you know, becoming an entrepreneur, Whatever it is, don't don't be afraid to try it and to, to do it. Because even if you have a goal and you think, okay, I'm going to go do this, you might wind up in a very, very different place than what you had set out. 
but you would never wind up in that place if you didn't follow your heart in the first place. And I believe that if you do that and you're true to yourself, you'll wind up where you're supposed to be. How would you define Anna Wilson? Um, as the person you mean, or uh, human, human person speaking, I would define myself as a, a reflective person, a spiritual person, not religious, but a connected person. I, I try to really pay attention to the, the universe, the signs, the things that are happening because, you know, as a songwriter, as a storyteller, I feel like it's my job to to observe them and to maybe interpret them in a way that affects me. But if it affects me, maybe it'll also affect somebody else, you know, to try to, to put into words and language what, what we hope is a common human experience. So I'm always observing and reflecting and really trying to pay attention people watching, you know, I really enjoy that. And I really just try to find the meaning as much as I can in as many experiences as I can. And I would say that that's probably one of the the things that I aspire to the most and, and have and enjoy the most. So, yeah. <laughs> Good answer. Everyone out there, they can visit the website. It's AnnaWilson.com. They can also check out Troubadour77.com, and both of those places will get you to where you're going. Well, I'm very, very glad that I discovered AnnaWilson.com. I was intrigued by this whole thing of jazz meeting country. It's something that I've always, I've always kind of felt was cool, and many people have done it. Well, not many, but Willie Nelson, a few people, Merle Haggard, you're in good company. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm I'm so glad that you you found me and that we got to do this. It's lovely to meet you and be talking about music and songs and and everything. It's wonderful. You've been Thank very you. kind to share. Thank you. you All bet. right. Well, have a wonderful rest of the day. You too. And I really, really appreciate it, Paul. And uh, thanks for for having me.